0: your as a
1: hero, but
0: leave a fool behind. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me. I'm delighted to welcome a young Norwegian mountain runner to the podcast today. They have placed competitively at the 20 and 50 kilometre distances and races across Europe, including a recent fourth place at the Nice Cote d'Azur, 50 kilometer race as part of the UTMB World Series. They're an athlete for Satisfy Running and an advocate for the International Dark Sky Association, a group striving to protect a night sky filled with stars from light pollution as part of a shared global heritage. Their smile as they push themselves to physical limits is contagious, and I am looking forward to diving deeper into their experiences of the running community and life on the trails in Norway. So now over to them to introduce themselves further in the manner of their choosing. Oh, Thank
1: you so much. Uh, I'm Stian Somerset. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, Well, I'm a mountain runner, as you said, from Norway. Uh, I'm 26 years old. I currently live in Oslo, uh, and, but I come from uh, Tromso, which is in the northern part of Norway. Uh, many like mountain trail runners will probably know the, the Tromsø Sky Race. It's gotten quite like well it's it's famous but also like infamous for being technical and hard and i haven't done it i haven't like even run the course but uh well that's where i come from so it's kind of natural becoming a mountain runner uh when you grow up there i think and uh yeah here in oslo i work in the norwegian ministry of transport i'm graduated from like law school and, and do a i have no idea what i'm doing like most of the time but it's like a little bit of politics and a little bit of uh well road infrastructure management and uh yeah
2: a little bit of everything and a lot of yeah. ru- a lot of run commutes to work as, <laughs> yeah as we were That's just talking uh, about
1: <laughs> yeah my mouth ma- like my monday to to fridays are usually just like to and from work and sometimes i uh I take the shortest routes to work and sometimes I go for a detour uh, via the forest. I live in, um, like my, 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 from my, like my doorstep, if I take like a long step out to the right, I touch uh, the first trail going into the mountain. So I don't like have to touch really at, at all, which is kind of like, which is super cool living in like, uh, well, it isn't like a huge city also. It's like definitely like Norway's biggest city, but in like, European and global terms it's a, well, it's a very small capital but mm-hmm. like from the trail I have right outside my door I can run for hundreds if not thousands of kilometers uh, on trails
2: that's amazing so you don't need any kind of road to trail shoe it's just trails all the way
1: <laughs> it's trail all the way my, uh, my commute is basically like all on road though but uh, it's so nice to be able to because um, I, I, I started when I moved here I I lived in the like in the middle of the city, and I had to either like run a couple of kilometers um, on roads, or I took the like the tram or a bus or something to the woods, mm-hmm. and then I started. But I moved up here to be closer to the trails, and I uh, I save a lot of time doing that, and like uh, the the money for like the the monthly bus subscription and such.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you commute on foot then you also well, it's the most sustainable way to travel, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it's great. I mean like it's actually the quickest way as well. Like uh mm. the bus like from door to door is like forty minutes with the bus and it's like thirty to forty minutes if if I run. So it's great.
2: <laughs> Do you know there's like that um a man versus horse race you should do yeah. the the man versus bus race
1: thing. oh that'd be great I, I think I'd be awesome at that race that'd be perfect especially like if I took the bus on the trail then I'll definitely be winning yeah
2: yeah yeah. <laughs> right that's the thing we'll like we'll put our heads together and make this a formal a formal yeah. race to launch at yeah. the end of it yeah. so what was kind of like your childhood like growing up
1: well I, I grew up in like northern Norway where mm-hmm. There's like the the winter is six to eight months long with with snow and, and darkness for a large part of it. Um, so I didn't grow up running. Uh, I did mostly like team sports, football and handball, and uh, then like my parents dragged me out for everything. Like my parent, my father was like an alpine skier, so I did a lot of that and uh, did a lot of cross country skiing as like most kids growing up in Norway mm-hmm. do and. Then I, um, well, I really just love the team aspect of the sport, So I, I, stuck with football all the way from through my, like my childhood and my teenage years, uh, I really like gave it a go being like a professional footballer and maybe I wasn't like, um, physically built for it as I am with like, with running it's, it comes like running comes more naturally to me. I was probably always the kid, like running the most in a football match, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe I should have, you know, run a little less <laughs> sometimes, but, like, that was just what I did. I just, I loved working out. Like, I loved trainings. I loved the winters when, like, there was no, like, I love playing matches in, in the summer, but, like, I also loved, like, the the cross training in the winter and going for, like, snowy runs and uh, just being out in the, like, being in the gym, I love that. Um, but, like, I graduated from high school and, uh, there wasn't really like a professional contract uh waiting for me and i um i decided like if i wasn't gonna play professionally for the club that i grew up in i wasn't gonna play football at all
0: hmm.
1: so i like i signed up it's funny like this is a mainly like probably a british podcast and i i went to to the uk to england with my parents the um, the easter of 2016 okay. and i did um the uh, the dark sky marathon in up in kielder uh with the trail outlaws uh pretty, like i didn't know i think i did a, a 21k training run two weeks beforehand and i'm pretty sure that was all the training i did uh, and i was going to do like a, a trail marathon i had no idea what i was getting into i had no equipment for it i i had i just had to buy all the mandatory equipment when i got over to england and i um uh, i didn't have trail shoes or anything and it was like such like a crazy storm i don't remember the name of the storm that that easter in 2016 uh but it had a name and everything
2: was it, and, like, named it really hit it. Like,
1: yeah <laughs> it was that was crazy and that was just <laughs> the, the way that i was welcomed by the, the community by the trail outlaws guys uh up there on the border of scotland i uh i was just so inspired i, I ran around like the killer dam and it was just like the greatest day of my life uh and it went kind of well as well, so I was like, "Okay, I'm doing this. Uh, this is what I'm doing now." So uh, I played on that my last my last season of football, and uh, then I just started running.
2: So actually, your breakthrough into running didn't come in Norway. It came with that one-off trip to, <laughs> to yeah. Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> running,
1: <laughs> yeah, like the running, like the, the the English trails really have like a special place in my heart. Like, and just I went back there in 2019. Uh, I still like. Text the, the Trail Outlaws organizers every once in a while. I, I love to do any of the races that they organize. Um, I'd love to do several like UK races. I think they might suit me well. And mm. like, the, it's just like scenic. I love the landscape and everything.
2: Yeah, there's something really special about it not just the box like <laughs> there's a lot of yeah, other things yeah. too
1: <laughs> yeah, but like, was, you know like growing up like I also love like the Lord of the Rings movies I know those are in like the new in New Zealand but like they're based off you know the Tolkien's like vision and, and he mainly saw England and a little bit of France but like mainly England so I'm just I just love his description of like the the landscape that he kind of saw around him and, yeah
2: oh, absolutely like you'd love some of the the welsh races i think because when when you go there, it just feels like y- you feel like the earth is older there i think and like it's kind of literally sort of oozing stories so like, yeah. i don't know it might be kind of like at particular times so the night where you think you actually see a hobbit or something but like um but yeah there's definitely like and sort of like the malvern hills and stuff but yeah you feel like there's kind of some sort of magic I think happening um and yeah depending on the length of the race <laughs> possibly possibly, <Yeah. laughs> really is but yeah that's that's really cool and um, I was actually on the uh on the website of the trail outlaws races the other day because I was like oh those look those look kind of cool so it's yeah. um there's a nice synergy there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that
1: was like the Trail race. Outlaws, the races that they organize, they're amazing like the community is special I've been to many races now. Like that was my first race. That was my first introduction to running. So I I, I could like compare that to anything. But now that I can, I just know that that's just a special community. Uh, yeah.
2: And what did you find that running once, once you kind of started doing it after that, just racing, um, yeah. what did running give you that maybe you hadn't found with, with football and things? Cause obviously kind of movement has been in your life and, you're perhaps actually kind of singular in the fact that you did like team sports um, when you were younger, because I taught myself included and I, so many runners that I talk to there, we say, yeah, trails, tra- the um, team stuff just wasn't for us. <laughs> like, and so we started running. So it's interesting that you did have that team background. Um, uh, so then what did running, what did you find with it? Well, I think
1: the, I just, I really love competing like that's almost like first and foremost about like growing up, um am I might like sometimes I wasn't like the best loser, I wasn't the best winner. like but I just was really competitive in everything I did. Uh and I kind of I've been able to like well, I've grown from that I think like mostly, but I still love competition and just lining up on a start line and and just knowing that this is an opportunity, to just like give my best and it's a race. Like I love the race aspect. Just, it's so like it's so simple. Like it's just like first person to get to the finish line. Uh, in like a traditional race, I mean, some races are just you run forever and you're the last <laughs> man standing. But like the races I do are mainly like you're just a, trying to be the first person to the finish line. Uh, and I love that. Like the thing that I loved about like team sports was that I was winning with someone or and losing with someone like I just love feeling that you know the the spirit that just we're together pushing for something and sometimes we, we win and sometimes we don't but like you're with someone like in it and uh I think I, I really like like that but at some point um I knew that if I was going to like be a competitor in my as I like grown into, like grew into an adult. I knew that I had to find a different sport, and like, and running doesn't have the the, the same team element, mm. but it still has the competitiveness. It's it's about winning, it's about losing, it's about dealing with it, it's about you know finding a community, like, and and, and pushing for something together. Because, and that's really what like running gives me. It's just that opportunity to. To keep on just competing and, and being like pushing for the same goals with all the other people on on the finish line. I just love that the sense of, I mean, like it's an invi- an individual sport, but we're all on this like the start line, wanting to get to the finish line, and most of us really want to get to the finish line like before rather than later. Uh, <laughs> no. None of us want to be out there for like a mission quest, <laughs> or maybe like maybe someone do, but like most of us want, just want to get to the finish line. And I love the sense that we're all in it together. I mean, someone are going to finish like hours ahead of other people. Like some people might not finish, but we're all just doing the same thing. We're just moving our body as quickly as possible over various types of surfaces and in the same area. And it's just beautiful, I think.
2: That's such a, a lovely description of it, actually. And I think like we saw that, that kind of publicly play out with UTMB so evidently this year as well, didn't we, with the kind of Mathieu and Killian kind of like they were competitors, but they were helping each other. And like the course record went because of them working yeah. <laughs> together basically. Um, and I, I think you really nicely summarise that people see running as this individual thing, but we're only as strong really as the people around us, aren't we? <laughs> so yeah. um so yeah, I can, I completely get that. And that actually now makes a lot more sense to me in terms of that translation from what we might see as team sports and then actually go, going towards running, which people might perceive as an individualistic kind of pursuit. But it's it's really, it's not when you're competing, absolutely. And so were you, did you naturally gravitate towards trails um, once you've kind of had that first taste of it?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um- like the first race I did was a trail race, but um, then uh, one day, like the third weekend of June or maybe it's uh, the last weekend of June in 2016, I, uh, I stumbled upon this like live tweeting of the Western States 100, and I had no idea what, what that was. I had no idea. Like, I didn't fully comprehend that people were running 100 miles mm. in one go uh but then i i just started going like going down this rabbit hole and i saw the pictures and they were tweeting about this like this like near comer who was running way ahead of the field and his name was like jim Walsley and <laughs> uh and he had been really cocky in his preparations and in the interviews beforehand but he was like going for it all by himself the first time he was doing 100 miles the first time he was out on that course in a race uh this is crazy, like they're they're not sleeping, they're not stopping for that long, they're maybe changing their shoes or putting in some like food or something, but they're not, they're just running super fast over trails, and so that was like, okay, maybe like that was when I realized that I want to run, not only want to run, I want to run on trails for really long times, Uh, and and being from Tromso and and living in Tromso at the time, that was uh, super, like that was That was, it felt like, it actually felt doable because I had the mountains, I had the trails. I could just like go out and do repeats up and down a steep hill or a shorter hill or a long hill or just be out in the mountains for hours. Uh, And once I realized that I can actually, well, I didn't realize how hard it is to get into the Western States at the time, but like that was a problem for later. Uh, I just really knew that this is what I want to do. Uh, and, but at the same time, as I got into like the running community back in my, my hometown, I, I realized that maybe as a 19 year old kid, basically, I shouldn't be like going for those kind of races. I can wait a couple of years at least <laughs> before I start doing those distances. And before I like start going out in the mountains for like hours at a time, because even though like I lived, my backyard was literally a mountain, I hadn't really, I, I, I went on like mountain hikes with my friends and my families so all the time, but this was something completely different, racing in that kind of like, um, well, in, that, in those types of uh, areas. And so I talked to a lot of like people in the the, the running community and they welcomed me and they told me like, maybe you should start doing like the shorter things like the, the uphill races and the, the shorter road races. And I got that and I, I enjoyed that as well. Uh, I really enjoyed running on the, the roads, uh, for the first couple of years. And then I did shorter amount races in the beginning, but, uh, I always knew that the, the end goal was, was doing the the long trail races. And now that I've been doing this for uh, a little over five years now, I think, uh, I think I'm ready to like fully transition into just doing the mountain stuff. And, and I've started dipping my toe into the the ultra world as well. Mm-hmm. So that's cool.
2: You've come over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the dark
1: side. But like there's more fun in the dark side. I mean, like that's just how it is.
2: Oh no, absolutely. I mean, I, I have so much respect for you because I think that, um, There's sort of different levels of suffering and actually suffering is something that I want to come on to next. But um, because the intensity (laughs) at which you race actually quite considerable distances. So it's not kind of the 100 miler just yet, but actually those kind of like in between distances that you do that require really fast running and intensity um, for a drawn out period still. I think it's like, uh, I, uh, kudos to you, because I don't know, I just don't know how you do it. <laughs> um, and it's, I guess it's kind of getting used to that sort of, it's a different pain cave, really. Like there's the kind of really long, drawn out, sort of slower stuff. And then you've got the marathon kind of distance. And then there's this sort of like, 50 to 100K, where you've still got to go fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's where you've kind of, you've sort of excelled, really. Um, and I think there was a line that you wrote on um, on an Instagram post where, I can't remember whether it was, was it Sierra Zinal, I think? Um, yeah. Where perhaps you didn't get, like, the result that you wanted, but I I think we kind of, we spoke about this because I just thought it was such... Um, such a kind of like a thing of resonance to say, to suffer voluntarily in the most beautiful places is a gift. Um, and I just wanted to like, see if you could unpick that a little bit, kind of like what what suffering kind of means to you. Um, and we'll kind of come on to the second bit of that in a sec, but yeah, what, can you just um, explain to me kind of like what you were feeling at that moment and and also kind of what that what that suffering is?
1: Yeah. Um, when I, when like the, the gun goes off in a race, I'm all about the race. I'm just trying to, to move my body as quickly as possible to get to the finish line. Uh, and sometimes, you know, that, and that hurts. I mean, that's, that's one type of pain. And, and another type of pain is, uh, is dealing with that process mentally, like during the race. But I think as I've grown older, I really gotten like a perspective on like my competitiveness. It's just that kind of comes, but now like I can race, and it either goes like it is like I either like do well or I or I don't. Uh, but what matters to me now is that I uh, is dealing with that, you know, dealing with having a good day, dealing with having a bad day, and that's where the perspective comes in, like whether it's a good day or a bad day, I'm still like flying to to Switzerland and meeting up with like a bunch of like-minded people. And we're all just throwing us, like we're flinging our bodies like into the mountain and just trying to get to the other side of the valley as quickly as possible. And it hurts. Like a race like that hurts from the, the third step first two steps are great and like, then like by like the first like a third step you're you're seeing like killian like 100 meters ahead and you realize that you're nowhere near his level you're barely hanging on to like this level uh but i try to not think about that during the race I just you know, i continue flinging myself into the mountainside uh and then the, like as i said the perspective comes afterwards i just try to appreciate what i've been through and uh I try to think of the how lucky I am to be able to just to move to to see the mountains like this, to experience the the culture, to experience the community, to to get to the finish line, not have the day that I wanted, but be met with like friends and and family and who are all like that was great. I mean that was great, and I'm like maybe it wasn't the day that I wanted, but like. I was still like, I still had the opportunity to do that, um, so that's kind of where the finding the the perspective on on the whole like racing and competitiveness thing. But like in the race, I'm all about the race. I don't, I rarely find myself stopping and thinking about how beautiful the Swiss mountainside really is, or thinking mm-hmm. about the community in the race. I, I should probably do that more often, but in like a shorter race like that it's just, it's, the intensity is so high that I don't really get this, I don't really like find myself allowing myself to, to think in those, think about those kind of things. So that kind of comes to us afterwards. So when I sit in the, in the bus back down from the mountain, I wrote that, um, I think I wrote that on the bus back, um, just like a, an hour or something after the race. I'd been puking and like, I didn't have my, like, I I forgot to like bring a different pair of shoes to the finish line. So I was walking just around in my socks because the shoes that I'd been wearing were like, they were not feeling great. Uh, for some reason, I don't remember why I was just walking around in my socks and in a daze and it was, uh, it was weird, but I, I kind of found that, that sense of appreciation for what I've been through, um, and I think that's important for for all of us. Especially like there is a lot of stuff in this world that is not great, not at the moment. There are things in this world that won't be great in, in ten years. There are things that were terrible ten, like ten years ago and hundreds of years ago. It's like I think when you're if you're as lucky as, as I am, you can you just gotta have perspective on that thing, especially when it goes wrong.
2: Mm. And I guess also just being able to access these spaces as well is, is a privilege and a, and a gift, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, And I think, like, so you talked about the difficulty of, like, going from that, that third step. What kind of gets you through those really tough moments in a race? Or is it just a case of you're just thinking, just keep pushing? <laughs>
1: uh, well... It kind of de- depends how badly it gets. I mean, okay. <laughs> some types of like of like bad spots, you can you can kind of just like zone out from and, uh, and, and kind of like forget about in the moments and then you kind of deal with it later if it gets worse. Uh, Sometimes of downs are, well, they're not, you can't just like delay them until a later time. You, you have to deal with them right there and then. I think I find a lot of, I try to find strength in in the competitive side of it. I I don't like that's, I know it's like, it's not maybe like the most nice thing to say. Mm -hmm. Like, it could be more more like political correct, I think. But like, that's, I really find a lot of strength in not wanting to be beaten by the person behind me. Or if I can, if i can just stay with this person in front of me for like five more seconds or in four more seconds and three more seconds and two more seconds and one more second and maybe i lose them but there's always like in a race like for example like serious and others i won't be alone in that race for for a couple of years <laughs> i gotta i gotta get a lot faster before <laughs> i can like before i gap everyone uh that won't happen probably in in my lifetime but um I find a lot of strength in, in that. Uh, I hate losing. I don't wanna. I don't wanna give up one spot. I don't wanna give up one second on like a time I'm chasing or anything. Uh, and when that, well, and that's kind of like the surface level. I think uh, I try not to think about anything else because uh, I think I'm a, I'm a very like emotional person, and if I let kind of other like thoughts or perspectives perspectives get a hold of me then I can kind of like push me out of the, the zone I'm in and uh, and that gets kind of well it's not like it's not a, an unreliable source of uh, of comfort or energy for me uh, other like feelings I found I really like my best races or my best football matches or my best uh, long runs or, or workouts really come when I go into it with like, just like calm about like everything else in my life, um, just being like emotionally centered and, and yeah. So I think that's really why I, I like I rely on the competitiveness heavily.
2: No, I think that's that's an interesting um, point because I find that um, some of the best runners like they're they're lovely <laughs> they're lovely people and very kind yeah. of mindful and pretty kind of I guess zen in other is of life and I I got this from um from chatting to oh I'm now gonna like unhappily forget his name John Kelly um so (laughs) like John is just such a such a lovely kind of quite introverted person but also has that absolute iron steel glint (laughs) that is like I'm out there to win (laughs) like um and that's what drives him and competition can be the thing that kind of pushes us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone and that pushes us to go further and to test those limits of endurance that actually can make us better people like us as well and the kind of contrast between those really hard pushes and then kind of the the reflection that you can get afterwards and then also sort of the calm that can then be created in other areas of your life. I think that that does make, that makes sense. I don't think it's kind of a a paradox that can't be, (laughs) can't be balanced really. Um, And obviously you kind of like, you rebounded from that as well. So that kind of period of reflection because you then went into the Nice 50K, wasn't it? Where you came fourth um and i I tracked you on that which was like like, but um it was a tricky race right like there was a lot of there was a lot of pushing through rain there so do you just want to talk me through that and how it kind of compared to zinal and and like the the feelings and and the the experience of that
1: yeah uh, the the nice race was my my longest race at the time uh it was uh i think it's like it's 60 kilometers and then me and and george foster who we were in the lead i think at the time and and we went the wrong way and made it a 62k race Uh, (laughs) but uh that was i mean like just like rebounding from csnl was i mean it, it was a bummer just having not having like the result that i wanted but like i ran with with guys mostly that I don't run with on on any other day, that was just an incredible experience. And I I came into like the the halfway point or like maybe maybe a little longer as well, like like almost like top twenty, I think. Mm. And and just being in that company was just so great, and knowing that I can I can stay with them for like half the race, and maybe next time sixty percent of the race, next time seventy percent of the race, and one day maybe I I, I really stick it. So I'm not like, I don't really dwell, I don't dwell on like, not great days like that. I think there are definitely things that can do, can go better. And I try to you know solve those problems uh, until the next time I do a race. And for me, that was the nice 50k, uh, 60k it's called a 50k so let's just say 50k but like it Six, was 60K. 62
2: with uh, the detour <laughs> yeah,
1: 62. if you're if you're bad at following the the course that's round right
2: up to 70 <laughs> yeah yeah you can make any like
1: race as long as you want you can just keep on going uh but uh yeah that was uh that was great it was like the first UTMB series race that I've ever done uh so there were like it was a pretty competitive field it was in an area I haven't been running in before I didn't know anything about the course it was like the first time the first time the race ever was held so I don't think any of us knew much mm. at least us coming into the the race from different countries and such and um, yeah it was a lot more technical than I thought it would be it was just pouring down rain like it it didn't stop for one second that day like it rained from 30 minutes before the race started and it rained until I woke up the next morning I think it was just like, torrentious it was I re- like I ran in like the rain over pants that were mandatory on the day I ran in them all the way I'd never, I never thought I the first time I'd be doing a 60k race I'd be wearing like rain pants that was <laughs> it was insane I, I, I kind of I kind of enjoyed it. it was I just kept my legs warm and, and nice but uh that was uh it was a brutal course I was
2: wondering so like some of the photos of you with like the pants on and stuff and I was like it's really yeah. like it's quite dressed up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's going on
1: <laughs> I mean I didn't think going to like the the uh, the, the southern coast of France would be uh, anything <laughs> like that I, I went there to have like a holiday proper holiday like maybe visit the beach the day after but I like I actually ended up like uh moving my uh, my flight uh back one day so because i well i could have been there for all my day like, it's <laughs> no. like, my, my body was beaten up and and the weather was not great so i'm like, heading out but it was a great it was like a great experience my first my first race international ultra race like that uh, i ran with george uh, foster who's uh uk is in thailand now for the the world champs mm. for a large portion of it um it was like rocky, it was muddy, we were slipping all around, the course was not marked well. The the, the one turn we missed that ended up like costing us like twenty places, I think. Uh was I well, I'm surprised if more people didn't make the wrong turn there. Uh maybe they turned around quicker than us, but we were just like going so fast, I think. We just completely forgot about that. We were just going like the course was just up and down all the time and it was really fun having like my first experience like that going kind of well, I was just in control of my effort all the way. I uh, I was definitely feeling it from like 50 to 60k but I think it, it couldn't have gone much better. It was just the, a great experience. Maybe like I shouldn't have made that wrong turn but that's like that can happen to anyone and it's going to happen like it's probably going to happen more times and it's just something you gotta like deal with on the day just like you gotta prioritize sticking to the course and then if you make the wrong turn you just gotta deal with that the mental side of it and the physical side of it just getting back on track and and finding your your sweet spot again
2: yeah and I guess that's where sort of the the problem solving aspects of the sport come in as well that you all many of these courses are really well marked now. They're kind of the, the slightly shorter trail ultras, but yeah, there's always going to be things that go wrong. Maybe it's nutrition, maybe it's getting lost. Like, but you've got to find some way of getting around it. Otherwise, no one would ever finish. Yeah. Either. So, yeah, But what a what a comeback! And what were the fe- well, how did you feel afterwards, other than like get me out of the sodding rain? <laughs>
1: oh, I had the well. It was a really f- fun day. If I can tell, if you have time for the whole story, I um, okay we, we had to bring our phones. There was a lot of like mandatory gear, and we had to bring our phones. And uh, on one, at like the the forty k mark or something, I fell. Uh, I tripped and my I, I smashed my phone because my phone was like in my like a chest pocket in my west. and like rain or water seeped into my phone. It was like it died the <laughs> second I fell. So. I got to. We were running from a town called uh, Mentol, I think, in Tunis. Uh, and my hotel was in Mentol, so I got to the finish line. Uh, I felt like I was beaten. I was like beat up, and I was glad I was not. I was glad. I was glad it was over, or like I was happy with my performance. But I was glad it, I didn't have to go like <laughs> ten more kilometers yeah. or anything. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized, like, I don't have a phone. And my phone was my, well, it was, like, my one way of connecting with the outer world. Uh, but it was also my credit card and uh, and my ticket to get back home. And, well, it was a lot of things. Uh, and now I'm in France. I'm tired. I have, like, one set of clothing in a city I don't live in. So it was great. I had some, like, food with with George, Uh and then we, uh, then I set out to find my way back home. I stopped by every phone store, like every phone repair shop. In this, no one could help my poor phone. Uh, no one wanted to sell me a phone for free. Like
0: no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> why? So I borrowed the phone. I, I, I approached a, a very nice French girl in the, in the Finnish area, and she let me borrow her phone to. So I called my mom and just told her. I'm alive, but you probably won't hear from me for a while. I, I just <laughs> gotta get back from France. Uh, so that's it. And then I uh, I couldn't fix my phone, so I managed to um, swindle my way through like the the gate that I had to have a ticket on to get to the platform to get to the train back to Menton. I, I, I told them I like, I was I had was doing this race and I had to get back to the start and they were like, Yeah, sure, you gotta get back to your hotel. Um, and then once I was on the train, there were like this ticket, um, like control. They were like checking people's tickets and I was just limping parallel with the guards constantly on like the 40 minute train ride. So they couldn't stop me because I was just constantly moving, (laughs) like limping at the same pace as they was like up and down the, the, like the two floor train. And then I got to mentor and I got to the hotel and I just had a great like 24 hours or something without connection to the internet or anything and I'm like a super internet addicted kid so that was (laughs) quite the the cleansing uh, I was on and I had like my luckily I had like some like cash in my hotel so I it, it went well. But that was the that was my experience after that race. I just I wasn't able to like process the experience until like a couple of days after because I was just constantly solving these like problems of not being connected to the internet for like 24
2: hours afterwards. You were stuck in limbo with nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah
1: that was a, yeah.
2: <laughs> with, with waterproof trousers, so so. <laughs> my
1: trousers. I could wear. I can wear them. Nothing else. <laughs>
2: Oh, I know. Like, public transport after a race is just always horrible as well if your legs are like... Because you can't get anywhere very fast. So I can only imagine what it was like. Oh, you (laughs) put... (laughs) but um just coming on now to so you you were beaten up after that but like on on a high with it um obviously you've just come back or just about come back from um festival de templars um i think i've just completely botched the french pronunciation of that which was 100k and we did kind of we we had a chat after you um after you had a dnf there so it didn't finish um and I just wondered if you could kind of talk a little bit about, because you you discussed a bit before about kind of that you you win and you lose with people. And I just, if you're okay with it, just wanted to kind of focus on that sort of the failure bit and how you kind of process that um, after you'd warmed up in whatever van picked you up mid-race. <laughs> yeah. I, like,
1: like the other thing is sometimes you just like a, you know you're like you don't want to be a dnf or like once a dnf or always a dnf mm. i don't think that's my take on it at all for to me it's like sometimes you like it's what you said like sometimes you win sometimes you lose and then running that's that can mean a lot of things this time i i i lost like i didn't get to the finish line i that was my main goal getting to the finish line uh and i didn't do that but instead like i, I was still healthy i can i could run a couple of days after there were a lot of like good things about DNFing. I could have completely wrecked myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the sake of finishing that race. And I just think that you just got to... It's like an individual thing. You just got to see like what you get out of it. And um, so what happened was it was my first 100K attempt, i got to say now. <laughs> uh, and I uh, I mean, I, had, I think I could have done really well if I, I saw no like reason it could go I think I think like when I go into a race I can't really focus on how bad it can be mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's something that I've never done before because I have no idea how bad it can be like you know, it's just like speculation and speculations get me gets me nowhere uh, and not really like speculation about how well it can be doesn't get me anywhere either is just trying to look at it like in a rational way what is the problem you're trying to solve it's running 30 30k longer than you've ever done okay how do you do that you try to you know practice your nutrition practice your running for long times and you can't like duplicate you can't just run 100k in training and then go like okay i can do that another day because you have no idea if you can do that another day there are so many things that can go wrong so we tried to like focus on problem solving. And the gun went off and I was running with my my best friend who's also in with me, um, which was amazing. Like just it goes back to the the suffering in the most beautiful places. I mean, suffering with your best friends. Like, <laughs> how great is that? That's just that's just great. That's just the kind of like the team thing that I love like that I loved about football, just getting a result with your, your, with your best friends, your teammates, whatever. It's such a good feeling like you're in it together you win together and you lose together and you're still together that's the important thing so the gun went off and we were running pretty quickly like the first kilometers it was just like yeah, the first five six k were on the road mm-hmm. mostly like uphill but like it was going pretty quickly and i felt really good it was in the middle of the night and i was wearing a, a long sleeve like woolen t like wool shirt it was i was wearing Way too much. I, I felt like running in the middle of the night in late October was going to be cold. That was one problem that I didn't solve uh, beforehand. I uh, I should have worn less. So that's just I learned that. But I was just sweating, <laughs> uh, sweating. And I tried drinking. And if <laughs> uh, like I felt good, it was in the middle of the night. I was running alone for most of the the, the, the first ten kilometers. I was felt like I was all alone, but I was still probably like Ugh. Top twenty or something, and then I, I caught up to uh, a little like group of people, and we were like moving pretty quickly, like up and down on these like uh, beautiful trails with like leaves falling onto them. And it was it wasn't raining. Luckily, I didn't have like the nice experience again. But it, it had been raining. So it was like wet and slippery, and it was just like we were moving like on the the fallen leaves. It was just like the perfect autumn experience. Then we like descended into this like beautiful like French medieval town, and one of the checkpoints was in a church, and I just flew through the church, picked up like a coke, and everyone else had like a support crew in like the group that I was running in, but I came into that church like all alone, and everyone was trying to feed me, and I was like, oh, this is I I don't need a crew. I have like the, the French people in this church. They're really, like they're they're great. I had no idea I was in like fourth or fifth place or something, uh, which was. I mean I, I I thought I could be in that type of company I don't think I was moving too fast but I, I was just not dealing with the with the amount of sweating I was mm-hmm. doing I think because uh going out of that town I I started realizing I was uh, I was drinking way more than I thought I would be um I hadn't really been practicing that but it went okay up until the I got the the checkpoint at 38k at like fifth, fourth or fifth place again and uh, I filled up my water bottles and I I was in like a, this group of like three or four runners and I got kind of caught up in just staying with them. So I, I filled my water bottles and then I started running. And like two kilometers later, I was so thirsty. I had to like really start getting water in like immediately to kind of solve that problem. Mm. Uh, and it was 20k until the next aid station and pretty soon i was out, all out of water already which was not good water management it was not good water management like right there and then it wasn't good water management up until that point um, and i just my head just kind of, kind of turned on me it was a headache the worst headache i've ever experienced and i've had like eight or nine concussions, i think uh, yeah. so that was not great uh i started like uh, I got dizzy and everything, so I uh I made like I felt okay until the the 50k mark, and then I really felt like I'm not gonna be able to to continue like this at least. So I I just and we were like running on this like beautiful cliffside, and I was like this this is stunning, I, but I just can't enjoy it because I'm just focusing on like. Putting one step in front of the other and making sure that I don't trip on the next step.
2: Mm.
0: Uh,
1: so I got to the 54k mark and then I I stopped my watch and I sat down for a bit. And uh, I was I had six kilometers all downhill to the next aid station, but I, I just couldn't move. And then I uh, I got up and I started just walking because there was no way I was getting like a helicopter or something to get down from the mountains. Uh, <laughs> I knew that I had a couple of friends from Norway who was doing the race on Sunday, uh, who could pick me up there if I just got there. So I I spent like 90 minutes, I think, just walking from walking downhill from kilometer 54 to 60. Um, It was, uh, well, I don't want to say it's like a a death march, because that's insensitive to people who've actually been on like, who've actually struggled, like really struggled. But it, it it felt like that because everything just started falling apart uh mm-hmm. physically and then uh, once my like my, my head was turning so much then like I, I still had no water so my let my legs just started turning on me as well even though I was walking um so it was uh it was not a lot of fun I was was feeling you know disappointment in the fact that I wouldn't be able to finish the race it was disappointing that i'd like taking time off from work to fly to France to do this thing and I, I couldn't do it it was disappointment knowing that I had a friend who was on course I didn't know if he was you know he could have the best day in the world and and I was there sort things of starting to think like okay if he has the best day he could have I need to to cheer up and and just be happy and do this for him and, and get to the finish line and cheer him on and there was just like so many things going through my head and it was not uh, mainly positive stuff, but I got to the sixty K mark and I had some my, some water and I was driven back to my apartment and there was there was like my best friend. He had DNF'd at kilometer forty. Uh, and he was like, Yeah, that was that was hard. That didn't go well for me either. And I was like, oh, I really wanted you to have like the perfect day, but now that we're here, I'm glad we can kind of be in this like team DNF together that, that that's the best way we can like that's just the best way we can deal with this right now and we just we really did we just had a, a good time we tried not to like we didn't want to like talk much about the race or talk about what did wrong we're we're more like we're not friends because we're running we're we're best friends because of everything else and running is just something we do together and we were able to enjoy our time there and eat good food and and talk to people who did well at the race and talk to people who had no idea what that the race was happening in the town they were living in and it was just great I think.
2: That's really cool and I think a really important point made there that you're someone who runs and you're someone who achieves really great things with running as well but that is not you like you you are also a friend you are also someone who connects and spreads the well the joy that you take from your running to other people and that kind of camaraderie and that sense of community is is a strength that yeah it's connected to running but it's not it's not the running itself and it sounds like also that you got through something really hard that was maybe harder than the than the running the race with like, if the nutrition and the fluids are gone well, yeah, that's really hard, like running that fast. But trudging on for six miles, feeling like that, and then also kind of mentally having to go through the process of finishing, and like that's that's tougher almost. <laughs> so I think if you can kind of like get through that, it sort of it does kind of set, president for being able to get through almost like the easier tough things that are coming with with further challenges. Um so I'm really glad that that kind of turned into a well a, a sort of commiserations but but positive experience for you once you were down from the mountain. It does also kind of bring us back to that idea of kind of that suffering in beautiful places as well. And I'm sort of curious about Kind of what also being in in nature gives you and i know that you um you're linked to things like the sort of the dark skies initiative as well and i was kind of if you could maybe chat about that um and specifically kind of why running on the trails you find to be a really kind of satisfying and rewarding thing
1: i um well i grew up in, in terms of that's just a normal thing to do like everyone is moving in the mountains whether it's like on skis during the winter or, or on trails in the summer so it becomes very natural to me just being outside because that's what everyone around me has always been doing Um, but um, I think and I always think when I go back to Tromsø now that I'm living here in a much bigger town and it, it, it doesn't have mountains it has like hills but like I go back and I feel this sense of Quiet, and it's just like I mean like the the nature around me is spectacular and I feel so like it's so open and I feel like I feel free and I just I don't think I had that perspective when I lived there Mm because that was just my normal day-to-day I didn't realize that there is a feeling of being in that type of space where you kind of feel the air around you you feel the the sense of connection to to the sky, the mountains—you, you know how big. Like this mountain, you can see—it's it's huge. You've been to the top of it. You've been at the bottom of it. You can see it from here. There's like these kind of like perspectives you get when you surround yourself by by nature like that. So that was that's been kind of hard moving here to also that doesn't have the the same type of the same type of space. Like it's more of a big city, it's, it's like tall buildings and, and hills and there's like, the ocean is right there, but like you can never really like see it because you're never like high enough to to really experience what it's like seeing the openness of the sea. Um, so I think like my connection to nature and, and everything it means to me comes from the place that I grew up. Mm. and. Even though I, as I said, like in the introduction, like I, I, love the UK, the scenic areas, like the hills there. They're just so stunning, and I've been to the Alps in the winter, in the summer, and it's spectacular. And I've been to the southern France now with the rain, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been to so many. I've been lucky to to travel to different continents, and I've seen a lot of beautiful landscapes but the 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 nature that I come from, the spaces that I come from means so much to me and the feelings that I experience there cannot be well, I haven't felt them anywhere else. And I think that's kind of where my connection to nature and you mentioned the dark sky like thing. I think that's also something that comes naturally from the place that I grew up in. It's in the summer it's we have the the midnight sun. So it's Mm. in like June and July it's the sun doesn't go down below the horizon. It's sun, sunny, like well, when it it's daylight, twenty four hours a day. It's very rarely sunny because Tromsø is so far north. It's always cold and, and raining and, and such. But like, uh, the sun never sets. Uh, and in the winter, the sun never rises because that's like we're so far above the the Arctic Circle. So I have kind of this like natural relationship to the day and night cyclists and, and having the dark skies and seeing the northern lights. There's When I, when you come from Toronto, so that's just something you see every other, well, not every other day, but like the northern lights are something like some people travel from all around the world to experience and I, I grew up with them right outside on my doorstep. So I think just taking care of the of the night sky and the, the night day cycle has become very important to me. I didn't really know about light pollution until I was like... Uh, I think I was like 17 or something and I, I was not in drumside at all. I was in uh, in the U.S. and I found this book called The End of Night by Paul Bogard, and it ended up like changing my life like literally because it was, I'd never heard about light pollution and it had this like beautiful poetic title, The End of Night mm-hmm. and a beautiful cover and I started just reading it it was like, so there's something called light pollution and people can't really see the night sky and I was like, but I see the night sky all the like all the time. It's dark twenty four hours for like months at a time in Tromsø. We have no lights, and I was like, okay, this can actually disappear. I gotta take care of it. So uh, I kind of took it up as kind of like one of like the things that I can do. In this, we gotta have like a big push for the environment, obviously. And then, like light pollution is probably the most gentle type of pollution there is because it's not like an oil spill in like the North Sea or anything that would have like drastic effects right there and then and it could be catastrophic or like burning the, the Amazon, like in, in Amazonas in, in Brazil, like that would be terrible. Now it would be terrible in ten years, uh, and I'm so glad like there is a new president in Brazil, but like whatever. <laughs> uh, there is like there are a huge environmental issues in the world and i've kind of chosen dark skies to be kind of my baby if you can say that because it's just so important to me the the area that i grew up in and dark skies dark skies are integral part of of being from from where i am
2: well i guess also i mean we talked about kind of accessibility of trails as being being a privilege i guess like Access to the sky isn't something that is talked about really. And I I kind of just having this conversation, it strikes me how sad it is that people don't see the stars. (laughs) Like it's um (laughs) and that's a whole landscape that people just don't see. I mean that you know, I live in an urban area in the Midlands in the UK and like the, the sky isn't great at night like there's you mainly see sort of the, the haze that is Coventry basically and <laughs> no one really wants to see the haze that yeah. is Coventry um and obviously you know you can go to remote parts of the UK and you can see that but again you've got to be able to get that and yes. um I can take a train somewhere and do that I am I uh, you know i have a job that enables me to be able to go and do that some people don't um and they've never seen the night sky as as it should be seen so um i think although you kind of say it's sort of a a, a niche thing it's something that people aren't aware of until they realize like you say that kind of contrast between what it should like look like and what it shouldn't and when you see it properly <laughs> like you realize that that's something that everyone should have access to what do you think that people can do in order to for this to to be reversed in some way can it be reversed
1: yeah I think it can definitely be reversed I think there are several sides to that but awareness is probably the most important thing right now Uh, it's just people are getting more and more aware of light pollution. It's, it's also natural that people are becoming more and more aware of it because it's like increasing rapidly with the, the development of the of the world as well. I mean, we need light. Obviously, we need light. And 100 years ago, we didn't need the same amount of light as we do now. A thousand years ago, there, you didn't need any light at all for what people did back then. But I really think like awareness is the most important thing and when i was in, in paris uh, after the race uh Templier race i i found a, a man reading a paper we were outside a cafe and the man beside me was reading a, a french newspaper and there were two sides in that paper about uh the effects that light of pollution has on on insects in france and i was i had to stop like asking is this like a are you reading like a like a science journal or anything. And it was like, this was like one of the most, like the biggest newspapers in France. So I had to go buy it. I, I can read French and kind of understand some sounds of it. But like, mm. I just had to buy it and it gets like support kind of the awareness that this brings. But um, I think the, the, the most, like the funny thing about light pollution, even though it's like a small problem, um, it's something like everyone can do something about it. It's not like an oil spill, as I mentioned. Like there are very few people in this world who are like actually responsible for oil spills. It's like a handful of people, I think. I have no idea, but like I gotta say, it's like twenty-eight people in this world would be uh, is responsible for like the oil, uh, for like a potential oil spilling. But light pollution is something like we all contribute to. Mm-hmm. We all have lights because we have to have lights, but like we need to think about how we place our lights when we actually need lighting um because it's there's so many benefits to not especially now with like the energy crisis we're having in europe just turning off your light if you're not using it it saves you money it helps like if you really want to look at it from like it's super like geopolitical sense you kind of help fighting against putin in russia by turning off your lights because you keep like the, the the prices down and that's mm-hmm. he wants to drive them up so there's so many benefits to doing that just being aware of, of keeping light where it should be where it's needed and not letting it spill into the the dark sky above you because we've all lost especially like us growing up in in urban spaces or cities in Europe, we've all, we have no idea what a connection to, to the night sky means to us, really. I mean, just hundred years ago, people people could have, like, a genuine connection to it, a genuine relationship to it, like, all of our, like, religious histories, all of our, like, myths and fairy tales have some connection to, like, the skies above, the stars above, they're in, like, the Lion's King, they're in, uh, I mean, like, Hamlet when he's like the first time he meets his like ghost father he's like looking at the night like the dark sky and it's night in like every story and it just means so much to people i think from like the from you know like i mean like the bible like the first words like and then there was light or something like the connection to our dark sky means it's such an integral part of living and we have no idea what we're missing by just like building roads everywhere and lighting them up or like lighting up like oil rigs to uh, that like disrupts the cycles of like fish and stuff in the the sea and we're just like we're developing our world which is great but we're doing it at uh, the costs of uh, like an unknown cost we have no idea what we're missing so i think just being more aware it and controlling the light sources that we can control is the first and, and the best step that we all can do something and then like we can also like take it one step further and like talk to our like policy makers and and, and stuff like that but I mean if you can just turn off your light when you're not using it I think that's a that's, that's the best step
2: the first step the best yeah. step it's a pretty good first step and as you say talk, talking about it so people are actually aware of it and I think you put that so beautifully as well in terms of the awareness of how it's part of our story. It's part of our narrative. And actually, that that kind of ties into the rhythms of movement on, on foot as well. Um, and how we move and how we move with our surroundings and our environment. Um, we've got so fast, <laughs> but also like so slow in many ways and actually moving moving in a more mindful manner in in tandem with nature is what we're meant to meant to do and sometimes you know actually sort of taking a step backwards is <laughs> is what we need to do to go forwards and actually you know be be more attuned to these things um so thank you for sharing that and and hopefully it's kind of hope a conversation that is now getting a a broader audience as well and if you've got a little bit of time um he's he's, sp- he's spoken so so beautifully on lots of things um i just wanted to kind of also discuss that's obviously really part of your culture and kind of growing up as well where you have um we've discussed a little bit about kind of like the sort of like the British kind of versus sort of Norwegian kind of running culture as well. Um, I'm going to sound really old now by saying kind of like that you kind of have quite a sort of creative and kind of cool (laughs) relationship with how sort of running is presented. And it feels like a real kind of community. And you're obviously also linked to kind of satisfy. um, And I just thought it'd be good for you to maybe like talk about that and kind of how running sort of fits into culture in Norway um what does it mean to your friends as well and like what what does the relationship with satisfy as well give you
1: yeah I think uh, running for me is, is not something like I grew up wanting to do or anything but it's it's is a, a great training and it's super fun I, I love it like it's just moving in the woods it's it's great but there are so many cool sides to it. As, as you mentioned, you can do it, it can be like a really social experience, just like going out on like an adventure with your friends or people you you just yeah, met, but like you can really get to know someone on like a three hour long run. And, and a lot of people have the ability to just go out in the woods and be out there for three hours. And... It doesn't matter what like pace you go at; you can run really fast. But if you run too fast, you can't really you know get to interact as well. Mm. <laughs> so I think there there's a social element to it, which means a lot to me. I I'm a, I've got to know so many amazing people who told me the funniest stories, the saddest stories, the the most inspiring stories, like out on the trails, and uh, there like, I had some real touching moments, just like sharing the. I mean like some of us like we go for runs when we're not doing other stuff. Like we run when we're not at work, obviously. Like if you're not a professional runner, that's you you go for a run when you're not running, so yeah. you can <laughs> when you're not working, I think. I meant. So you can like you can kind of you can de- have like debrief or you can just like vent. It's just like socially it's it's a, it's just an amazing thing to do, I think. Uh, and I'm so glad that I'm able to do that. And I think if I wasn't able to run, I, I think I'd find some other outlet for that. But I think running is such a perfect way of of it sharing, just not just the experience, but sharing parts of your life with the person. Um, so that's kind of the social aspect of it. But the side to, to satisfy, and like the cultural side of it. We Running is a super simple sport. That's super cool about it. You're just moving your legs and you need you don't really need anything we have barefoot runners we have probably have naked runners i don't know any of them but like you can probably you can run naked uh, i think there like, was some quite was naked
2: at javelina this uh, the javelina hundred I, I saw the picture i think i think <laughs> Yeah. I think it might have actually been as, I think he was wearing a song, but like I didn't yeah. really kind of want to delve too far into that because I just thought the chaffing must be like. Oh, I really yeah. hope you were naked.
1: <laughs> if you gotta zoom in on a picture to see if a, a person is wearing clothes when he's running, don't do you don't have to zoom in. You can just <laughs> kind of you can guess what it like. is. It's not important. But I think um, I've always been interested in, in like any type of culture. I, I've tried so many different sports and i love the the culture side to most of it um the fashion side the the music side the, mm. there's so many like especially now with social media the last 20 years music and sport and fashion they all tie in really together like every like famous footballer has a really famous musician's like friend and when he's when he or she is like getting to the stadium before a match they're wearing like their most fancy clothes or like super cool outfits and with Satisfy, i'm able to have a a, like they're fantastic their their clothes are sustainable they're they've made this proper quality and you can feel it but they're also like super aware of their position in the market and they're super aware of like what kind of power they have in in how they design their clothes and and what they actually do. And they, they're like really in tune with, with culture, with fashion, with, with music, with, with sport itself, with design and everything. And I think in this like social media age, we're all able to express ourselves literally how we want. And there's a niche community for any of us. Like you can find a community for, if you don't, like you don't have to be like this is kind of insensitive, but like you don't have to be alone mm. in this day and age. There's always someone because we're all so connected. Well, a lot of us are feeling alone at times, and, and that's and that's sad, and that's a problem in itself, and a totally different discussion. But like, there is a community for everyone on the internet. Whether that's good or bad is something completely else. But uh, and in growing up. I've always been like, I've really spent a lot of time on the internet and I've always wanted to to know the next trend before it's actually a trend. I've always wanted to to see what the kids in Los Angeles are wearing, what the kids in Japan are listening to, what the, what the kids in France are kind of like, what kind of races are they showing up to? Mm. Is there like a change? Uh, and I think my relationship with Satisfy really helps me staying in tune with all of that
2: with sort of that interconnectedness between people yeah because
1: I wouldn't want like running is a social thing and it's a competitive thing but like I don't want running to be like to be me I want I want me to be me and and everything that I do is a part of me and I want to express myself with everything that I do because and I really had when uh, during the lockdown the first uh, back in like March 2020 and we were all just stuck on the internet in our uh, small apartment or in with back in with my parents that I, I i moved back into my parents house i think like we all found ourselves just stuck in this bubble and you really and for me it was difficult because i really i love expressing myself just like every day uh, moving out like going to the shop or listening whatever like music i'm listening to and i couldn't really share that experience with anyone I had to really find out like how do I express who I am on the internet now that this is the only way that I can express myself and I think the the lessons that I learned in the pandemic are really like really helped me shape my myself like how can I like actually express myself running how can I express myself in the community how can I express myself with the help of a sponsor and that's been really helpful because I, I i don't want to be anyone else and satisfy especially it helped me really be myself when i'm running
2: that's really cool that's sort of like you're, you're finding your own unique self through it um and I think there's more and more and it is something that is is evident in the UK as well, but within the running community, a runner doesn't look like a kind of, you know, a sweaty middle-aged man kind of like throwing himself up a <laughs> up a hill or stuff. and like and that's a horrible stereotype, but it's it's just all kind of a gym bunny or something like that. Like there there are people who read and and write and 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 paint and draw and like and and like expressing themselves in, in other ways. Um, and that's all, or, are passionate about the environment or like have, you know, use running as a means of like political expression as well. And we're all so kind of multifaceted and I think kind of weird in our own ways <laughs> and actually 100%. Actually, yeah, it's not, I mean like we've connected over, you know, Instagram and stuff through, through sort of like sharing interesting kind of visual images and things and like and that's that's all to the positive I think and that's how how kind of social media can be used in a really cool way to to connect people with similar interests and things and it's those kind of I mean like I work with sort of like PSHE and kind of well-being in the school where I teach and I try and kind of balance all the kind of the negative things of social media with all the, the positives. And I think that's a really, a good way of putting it, that it can be a, a creative expression and a way of, yeah, con- connecting fellow unique weirdos together to, yes. <laughs> to be able to do cool things and, and and meet up with people at races and stuff and see what people are doing in different countries. And that's all a, a really lovely expression. So, yeah, that's, a, that's really cool. And do you find that that's kind of... Um, that that's sort of similar with the experiences with your friends who are runners um where you are as well
1: i think uh, the running community uh is large here in oslo it's large enough to to like it's it's large enough to be filled with any type of person which is great i think I, you can i just was on a, like a, a group run today And there are all types of different people. Some people don't care about social media at all. Some people love running because it's a way of like stay healthy. Some people are doing it to compete. Uh, And I think that's, it doesn't matter. Like to me, it doesn't like matter why you're doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I just, it's still a community. And if you don't want to use running for that, it's fine. I, I take up a lot of space. I think sometimes just, sharing images and songs and, and videos that people have no, probably, like, many people have no relationship to, but sometimes I, I find I can connect with, like, super niche things or, like, weird tidbits here and there with people. And, and that is, like, a super genuine connection because it's something super weird. And things get really, really weird. <laughs> the connection you make, is it's it's amazing. And I think that's the... And you can kind of find that in, in running as well just like being able to to share a really weird thing for example just being outside for hours and hours it's super weird things with like we don't have to do that this is totally on our own volition i would I like many times i would much rather be like in my couch watching
2: football
1: <laughs> but like we're doing this, like just today, like when I was on the group, we were like running for puddles. We're like grown-up people running for puddles, and it's just a super weird thing. It's it's way weirder than sh- like sharing a cat meme on the internet.
2: Yeah, it's, it's weird. super weird.
1: And when you share that, that weirdness, no matter like what, if this person I'm running behind is doing it because she is trying to stay healthy, and the, the man behind me is doing it to kind of escape his his job for you know an hour it doesn't really matter because we're all share like sharing that experience and the weirder the experience get is it, it becomes more special and the more a special experience get it like it's kind of like it's it's it gets more sticky you know like we the weirder it gets the stickier it gets and it, it kind of like cements us together that's this makes no sense I think but like in my head it really does like, I can clearly visualise whatever I'm trying to describe in words
2: no the way forwards is definitely jumping in puddles I think that's yeah, <laughs> yeah you can be doing it to escape your job but also jump in puddles yeah. <laughs> so that's a take home message can we finish with just a few um, quick fire kind of questions so oh, God top three on your playlist at the moment
1: oh i've been listening a lot to uh the american punk band no pressure okay uh, the new 1975 album has been on repeat every day i haven't gone a day without listening to the whole f- album probably and uh uh and um coltrane the the jazz musician um just, uh, I don't remember his first name, but like I really uh, Spotify made me this a uh, playlist the other day from randomly listening to to jazz music. They made like a 50s in the new in New York. And I was like, this is again it's like this is super weird. Let me check out this playlist that Spotify has made for me and it was just a beautiful experience listening to that. I was just felt like I was like walking on like leaf like covered pavements in New York in like the 30s. It was awesome.
2: Oh, that sounds ace actually. I haven't listened to jazz so much when um when I run, so I maybe have to have to do that. Those are great recommendations. Thanks. I think it's going to be added to my playlist. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> brilliant. Um, bucket list race.
1: Western states. 100. Yeah, I
2: thought, thought that might be coming. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually watching the um uh, what is it? Um, like the first film that was made, it's on YouTube about Weston Yeah, State. Unbreakable. Yeah, that's it, Unbreakable, with um, like a really young Killian on it. And yeah, it's
1: just, and he's running like the weirdest spandex thing that I've ever seen. It's,
2: yeah, oh. a white, it's a white spandex moment. I, I asked John Kelly about his thoughts on white spandex, and I don't yeah. think he quite knew what to say about it it's a bold move it's a a
1: very bold bold move move. (laughs) I respect it though I really respect it
2: well like we'll hold our breath for what kit you choose to wear when you get to Western States I think there's a there's a bright future might need to chat to satisfy about that before you go out there oh
1: that's a great idea oh wow
2: (laughs) um place you'd most like to live
1: back home in Tromsø
2: back home in Tromsø I, it looks like such a magical place to be. Really, really does. Um, yeah,
1: if I if I ever win like a lottery or something, I'm buying like a block and I'm like hammering down all the walls and I'm getting all my friends to move in with me.
0: <laughs>
1: and I'm i like, I'm getting cats. cats. Like, well, maybe they don't like. Uh, so my friends don't like cats. I'm, I'm. I can. I can have like my my parents have a cat. I can just go back to my <laughs> parents to be with a cat
2: and um, lots of puddles around the place as well to go yeah, and jump in yeah. absolutely <laughs> um so what's next for you in running oh just like we can we can do jet, jet, i mean we've just planned out your future future life like where you're gonna live but yeah uh, running um and uh, yeah life in general well it's
1: uh getting back into the my next training block for um, for the winter, and it's uh, having uh, a month and a half more work before my Christmas holiday, and then I go back to my my parents in Tromsø. So that's next.
2: So you'll be able? Will you be doing some training there, sort of like schemo and stuff over the winter? Or?
1: Yeah, probably some schemo and um, I also do like a lot of running on the snow-covered mountains as well with my friends. We well, we we don't run, we we hike up and then we slide down really. <laughs> that's a we love doing that <laughs> that's and sometimes so we just best. we do that without with headlamps as well and we just have like uh, the a race to see who can who can get to the finish line or oh, we back down from the mountain first without you know crashing into too many trees is this, that where uh, the that concussions
2: come from you said that you've had concussion like four times is well, that from yeah that, actually the like
1: every time i come into the doctor's <laughs> office and uh, my doctor is like another concussion <laughs> and luckily, I haven't had one for in a couple of years.
2: So, do you have any races already planned for next year or are you still thinking about it?
1: Yeah, there's mm-hmm. one race I haven't, like, this is going to feel super like a professional running thing. But I, 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 I'm not announcing it mm-hmm. right now, but mm-hmm. it's my first race of the season uh, will be announced at a later date. But I'm definitely doing because the Norwegian Trail Mountain Ultra. Uh, championships are in Tromsø next August
2: so I'm
1: definitely doing that but there's some fun fun things happening before that
2: oh keep me posted then gotta tempt you over to the UK as well to do some races over here I think but I'd love that that's really cool the race and terms, so like I, I I looked at it um, more after you said about it and was like oh that one looks quite nice <laughs> um I, I, not necessarily like my my type of fun but um, <laughs> but definitely up your street <laughs> um and my final question um what does joy mean to you
1: Joy means finding. Um, just calm, peace, and and enjoying the the things that I do and the things that I experience more often than not when someone else. Not because I, 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 you can definitely experience joy on your own. It's like sitting alone, reading a book. That's amazing sometimes. But like, I think joy is is amplified often by friends and family and I'm really lucky to to be in a place in my life where I have a lot of people to to share my experiences with and that brings me a lot of joy
2: that's lovely thank you for sharing that and thank you so much for your for your time um and and for agreeing to this um no idea what people are going to get from- <laughs> it's just like two 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 friends are like having a chat about life and running um and things yes. but it's been really interesting just to get get the perspective of someone who is a kind of rising star in the sport and also just bring so much joy through the manner in which you share and talk about your experiences both the highs and the lows and also just getting kind of insight into into a whole kind of community and culture around running that is maybe a little bit different to the one that, that UK listeners might experience and to also just hear about the ways that you are using using running and the audience that you have to connect with people in a really positive way. So. I just wish you nothing but the best, and there's be so much excitement to watch your your journey unfolding um, over over the winter with the cats, and um, <laughs> next and next year with all your adventures, whether they be you know successes at finish lines or or failures. So, um, so just to kind of formally end the podcast, um, thank you so much. Um, and where can everyone if they want to follow you? Um, on social media where is the best place to do that
1: I am most active on Instagram where I think my name is uh, Stian D-H-L so that's S-T-I-A-N-D-H-L
2: okay I'll put a link in the show notes as well because I'm also really thankful (laughs) that you pronounce most of the things this evening as well because my so I was (laughs) feeling a little bit dodgy about that (laughs) so (laughs) So thank you for that as
1: well.
2: Thank you so much for
0: having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.